Welcome to the Mustang UMC podcast recorded each Sunday morning during our 8.30 and 10.50 a.m. services. We invite you to join us in praise and worship during that time, and our hope is that this podcast serves as an encouragement for you and for your family in your daily life. And let us remain standing for... The Word of God, taken from Revelation chapter 19, beginning at verse 6. And then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the sound of many waters, and like the sound of mighty thunderpeals, crying out, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give Him glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come. And his bride has made herself ready. To her it has been granted to be clothed with fine linen, bright and pure. For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, write this, Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, These are true words of God. And may God bless the reading of his word. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. So my name is Chris Tiger, and for those of you who may not know who I am, I'm Aaron Tiger's father, and uh, since he is away, he asked if I would fill in this Sunday. I am a, a minister in the United Methodist Church, And so I'm glad to be able and privileged to be here this morning. I'd like to share with you about an important date in my life, uh, June 28th of 1980. That was the day that my wife Priscilla and I had our wedding. And so it's been almost 42 years, but there are certain things that I can remember about that day, just like I'm sure that if you are married that you would remember about your wedding day. There's always some unique things, I think, about every wedding. And so one of the things that, about our wedding is that uh, this was my great-aunt Bond's 95th birthday. And so when we were looking at the time to set our wedding and this was the date, I thought, I better check this out with Aunt Bond. Because we'd had a big birthday for our 90th birthday, and her 95th birthday seemed like another time that we might want to gather the family to celebrate. And so I went and traveled to her house and asked her about this wedding, and she was gracious and said, well, the family would be getting together anyway, and and so we made sure that everybody knew that it was my Aunt Bond's birthday that day. The second thing that I think was special about that day and about our wedding is that my wife Priscilla made her own wedding dress. I haven't really heard a lot of people that have done that, but she is a a good seamstress, and she wanted to do that, so she made her wedding dress. And now, 42 years later, she can still fit in it, which is also pretty amazing. Because I couldn't fit in my wedding clothes, I can tell you that. The third thing that I would share is that uh, Priscilla's father, uh, George Campbell, had been fighting cancer for about five or six years. 
And George was one of those people that if, you, if he set his mind to it, he wanted to get that done. He was going to accomplish that. And so when it came about that he was fighting this battle with cancer, he wanted to see all three of his children get married. That was his primary goal. And Priscilla was the third of the three children to get married. And so when we got married in Tulsa, Oklahoma, at First United Methodist Church, George was bound and determined to walk his daughter down the aisle, which is certainly a great privilege that a father gets to do. We just didn't know if George had the strength to be able to do it. And so when we had our wedding rehearsal, um, George didn't attempt it. He, we had Priscilla's brother, Mark, uh, stand in his stead, and he walked Priscilla down the aisle. But on the day of the wedding, sure enough, back here in the back was George, and he was going to walk his daughter down that aisle. Now, First Methodist in Tulsa is a large church. It's sort of a cathedral-style church, and the walkway is maybe three times as long as the walkway here in your church. And so it was going to be quite the task for him to accomplish. But he did. You know, you don't just, when you're walking into the wedding, oftentimes you go slower. When you're walking out after the wedding, they get pretty quick. But on the way in, you walk slower. But this was even more deliberate and slower. And it gave me plenty of time to watch Priscilla walk down that aisle. That had such an impact upon me that I, when I officiated weddings, I would make sure to tell the groom to be watching his bride walk down the aisle and to take mental snapshots of that event. And the fourth thing I would share with you is that Priscilla had made her wedding dress, but she didn't make a veil. She wore a hat instead. And when it came time at the end of the wedding and the minister said, you may kiss your bride, I kissed Priscilla. And apparently I kissed, almost kissed her hat off. At least that's what the minister said. And so, you know, there's things that you can remember about your wedding day I get to share some of mine with you, and certainly weddings are a very important occasion in, in uh, people's lives. We're not too familiar with the customs that were about weddings in Jesus' day, and I wanted to just share a couple of them with you. I have found, because of the weddings that I officiated at that had different cultures, that sometimes you want to be able to incorporate different customs that they have for their weddings. But a couple things about weddings in Jesus' day. One is, when a couple got engaged, it meant that the groom-to-be had to get to work. In that day, they had a very patriarchal society, and they had what was known as the Bethob, or the Father's House. And what children would do when they got married is that they would build on a room to that house. That would be the place that they would bring their bride back to their home. And so they would build that room. And so in John chapter 14, when Jesus is about to leave and he's 
talking with his disciples about that, he tells them that I'm going to leave to prepare a place for you in my father's house. My father's house has room for you, and then I will come back and bring you to my father's house. That makes that passage a little different because what Jesus was referring to was the custom in their day of the groom building a room for his bride to come. And Jesus says that in the same way, he would go and prepare a place in his father's house. There is a contemporary song about uh, my father's house, and it goes, has a phrase like this, my father's house is a big, big house with lots and lots of rooms. A second custom in Jesus' day was that they didn't have a particular set day for the wedding to occur. It was somewhat of an unknown or surprise, if you will. And one of the things that, um, that the groom would want to do is to see if he could surprise his bride by coming at a time that she was not expecting. And so in Matthew 25, there's a story that Jesus told about 10 bridesmaids. Some of them were wise and some of them were foolish. The difference was that five of the bridesmaids had brought extra oil with them. See, they would carry a lamp to lead in the procession, a little hand lamp, and they would have oil that they would put in there. Five of them had not brought in extra oil, and the wedding was late, or the time for the groom to come was later. And so five of them had, did not have oil, and they had to go get some more, and while they were gone, the groom came and took his bride to his new home, his new room. And so when we're looking at these stories in the New Testament about wedding customs and what it means, when we get to Revelation chapter 19, there is this reference to the marriage supper of the Lamb. The Lamb is Jesus. And this is to be a grand and glorious occasion. It's sort of the cap of the story, if you will, that here is Jesus preparing to bring his bride to the place that he has prepared for her. And the bride of Christ is the church. And so in Revelation 19, we are talking about this. And in verse 7, it says, Let us rejoice and exult and give him glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come. And his bride has made herself ready. And so that's one of the things that we as the bride, the church, has to do is to make ourselves ready for this coming of our groom. This is a book that I read, I think, around six years or so. I began a new position as director of New Faith Communities and Jacob Armstrong was a new church planter, and he'd written this book, which had some reflections about it, uh, starting churches and lessons that he would have for churches. It's often said by authors that the first sentence is the most important sentence of the book. And so when you see Snoopy writing his book, he always starts it, it was a dark and stormy night. Well, the first sentence of this book was very interesting. It grabbed my attention. It was, your wife is ugly. 
And so, this is what he, what he wrote. Your wife is ugly. I looked around. He was talking to me. Your wife is ugly. I was at first confused and then pretty quickly offended. I had recently been invited to join a covenant group with some other pastors from across the country. Our first few meetings had been online, but we were now gathered for our first face-to-face meeting. We had been discussing some of the issues facing the church. The tone had grown critical and cynical as we had begun to do the easy work of pointing out all the things wrong with the 21st century church in America. We had a lot of material to choose from, including examples from our own denomination and our own congregations. We were clever, we were cute, and we were cutting the church down. Somewhere in the midst of that conversation, John, a pastor from North Carolina, said to me, your wife is ugly. First, he's never seen my wife. Second, my wife is beautiful. And third, where I come from, that type of insult results in a throwdown. When I was talking about this with the staff, they said he went Will Smith on her. (laughs) And so, you know, you get the idea, this is not something that you take easily to have someone say, your wife is ugly. But John didn't let the awkwardness linger long. Isn't this what we say to Jesus when we talk that way about the church? And we all knew what he was saying. The Bible refers to the church as Jesus' bride. For Jesus, the church is a thing of beauty. Jesus loves the church. And here we were saying how ugly she was. In the work that I have done with new churches and existing churches, I found that there are some people that think the church is ugly. For those who are outside of the church, and this is getting to be a growing percentage of people, particularly in our younger generations, that have never been to church, what they have heard about the church leads them to believe that the church is ugly. Now, they will tell you they like Jesus, but they don't like the church. And we call these people the nuns. Now, we're not talking about Catholic sisters. We're talking about N-O-N-E-S, nuns, because they have never been to church. But their impression of the church is that the church is ugly. Now, there's a second group of people who have been hurt by the church, and they too think the church is ugly. Whatever had happened in their experience of church had led to a deep hurt, and they now believe that the church is ugly. We call these people the Duns, D-O-N-E-S, because they are done with church. The third group of people are inside the church. And this was what Jacob Armstrong had experienced with his friends, that they became critical of the church because of its shortcomings. 
And there are people within the church that think that the church is ugly. Now, sometimes it's because on a local level, there may be some, just some harsh things going on in a particular church. And when that happens, sometimes the church splits. And some people go this way, some will go this way, but there are some that they just leave. In the United Methodist Church, we don't necessarily have splits happening in churches because of the connected nature of the United Methodist Church with other congregations, we tend to form new denominations. Now, this has happened several times in our history, but we are going through a point of history now because there are issues facing the United Methodist Church. For years and years, we have been trying to deal with what we call LGBTQ inclusion. And it's not an easy task because that is the presenting issue, but there are many other things that are deeply rooted in the things that we tend to disagree about. And so in the midst of this, we've tried to have a general conference, which is the overarching body of the United Methodist Church. It's the legislative branch of the church that can form new options, new rules for the church. And we had a special session of General Conference in 2019. We were supposed to have our regular session of General Conference in 2020, which was postponed because of COVID, and then 2021 postponed, 2022 postponed. And so now we're looking at 2024. And as we live in this history of the United Methodist Church, Oftentimes it seems like we are the untied United Methodist Church rather than the United Methodist Church. Now you need to think about that because that's just a typographical area and you just change two letters. But it is seemingly more untied than united. And so we have to deal with these kind of issues in the church and many others. And at times, we inside the church can think the church is ugly too. Ten years ago, I received a phone call from our bishop, um, Bishop Robert Hayes, and he was offering me the opportunity to be a uh, district superintendent. This was not something that I had ever desired. It was something that I hoped I never got a phone call about, but when he called, then I had to consider this. And since, you know, y'all are not United Methodist pastors, you have to realize that you don't have much time to be able to make these decisions. If you're lucky, if you're fortunate, you get overnight to think about it. And that was the occasion on this time. Um, I got the phone call from Bishop Hayes one evening, and he was going to call me back the next morning. Because this was not something that I was necessarily desirous of, I had a very restless night. I loved the church that I was in, the Owasso, uh, First United Methodist Church of Owasso. Uh, been there for 14 years. We had some good things going on. Uh, been a good ministry there. But the next morning when the bishop called me back, I said, yes, I'll do this. And it wasn't something that was very easy to live into either. I mourned, you know, not being a pastor of a church any longer. And whenever I went and began meeting with other district superintendents, 
I began to have a question that I would ask them, and it was, why are you a district superintendent? And I know I got lots of answers, but I don't really remember hardly any of them. I do remember one of them. And when I asked him this question, he said, because I love the bride of Christ. Now, he could have told me that he loved the church, but when he said that he loved the bride of Christ, it was like taking it up a notch, that this was something that meant something to him. And so we unfolded that conversation a little bit more. And he said that what he wanted to do was to prepare the bride of Christ for the groom. Whatever he could do to make the bride of Christ, the church, more ready to meet her groom he was wanting to do. And so I thought that's a worthy, worthy uh, call about why be a district superintendent. In the songs that we, I had asked Reuben to sing today with the church's one foundation, the reason why I ask is because there were different uh, words that meant something to me in this song. I don't think that I necessarily did the first verse, but let me go back if I can. I'm trying to give a little bit of room there for the uh, video person back in the back. But the first verse of this is, the church's one foundation is Jesus Christ, her, her Lord. She is his new creation by water and the word. From heaven he came and sought her to be his holy bride. With his own blood he bought her, and for her life he died. Now that phrase, from heaven he came and sought her to be his holy bride, is this reference in Revelation 19. And when I was a kid, this must have been one of the pastor's favorite hymns because it seemed like we sang it a lot. And I wasn't sure what all that meant, but I knew about brides and grooms and and it seemed that, you know, this was the imagery that was being used. So I understood a little bit. It seemed, seemed like a sort of good part of the hymn. But when I got to verse 3, um, I was not as sure about this. And so I'd like to take a look at verse 3. It says, Though with a scornful wonder we see her sore oppressed, by schisms rent asunder, by heresies distressed. Yet saints their watch are keeping, their cry goes on, how long? And soon the night of weeping shall be the morn of song. I didn't know what it meant to have a schism. I didn't know what heresies were. I didn't know what it meant really to be distressed or oppressed. But what I was confused about was, why are we singing this? What is the purpose of this verse in the song? And what I've come to realize is that it is speaking to the situations that we find ourselves in in the history of the church. That at times there are schisms, at times there is oppression, at times there are heresies. But yet, at some point, we will have that mourn, that mourning of song. One of the things that I've been saying for probably over 60 years, because I didn't really start 
going to big church until I was about five or six. And uh, when I started going to big church, we said the Apostles' Creed. It's something that we say here in this church, and a lot of churches say the Apostles' Creed every Sunday. And there are some phrases that I'd like to call to your attention. One is what we believe about the church. And it goes like this. I believe in the Holy Catholic Church. Now, I wanted to use the word Catholic because that was the original word. It was the word I grew up using for the church, the Catholic Church. There's been a lot of confusion about that because we think about the big C Roman Catholic Church, and we think, why is we as Protestants affirming that we believe in the Catholic Church? But actually, this is a little c, and it stands for the word universal. And so that's the word that y'all use when you affirm your faith, I believe in the holy universal church. The thing that's happened is that we have, because of that confusion, we have emphasized that word Catholic or the word universal more than we have the word preceding it, which is the word holy. I believe in the holy church. Now, the reason I know that this is the intent or the emphasis of the Apostles' Creed is that there, the word holy is used three times. Now, when we translate it into English, it doesn't come out all that much, the third phrase. But I want to go over the, the phrase before it and the phrase after it. It begins by saying, I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, and the communion of saints. And the word saint literally means holy ones. And so when we get to this part in the Apostles' Creed, we have this sense of holy, holy, holy. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the holy Catholic Church, the communion of the holy ones. You and I are called to be holy. And I believe that the Holy Spirit empowers the saints to be holy. And when the saints are holy, the church is holy. And so when we look at these verses, we realize in verse 8 of Revelation 19 that it says, To her it has been granted to be clothed with fine linen, bright and pure. And the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. The righteous deeds of the saints is holiness. And so the church, according to Revelation 19, is to make herself ready for the coming of the groom. The bride of Christ is to be clothed in fine linen, which is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the Holy Spirit will empower his people to be holy. And when we, as the people of Christ, are holy, then the church is holy too. Jesus longs to see his bride, his beautiful bride clothed in righteousness. And this picture in Revelation 19 is of that moment when the groom comes and the bride has made herself ready 
And although that time may be a surprise, we don't know exactly when that's going to occur, that the bride is ready and she has clothed herself with fine linen, bright and pure. Now, I told you earlier that one of the things that made Priscilla and I's wedding special is that she'd made her wedding uh, gown. I don't know exactly how hard that is because I don't sew anything, but I tend to think it's a little bit different to be able to make a wedding dress. What I remember about the dress is that it was beautiful. It was white, it was a little shiny, and it made me think about these righteous deeds, which are to be the clothing of the bride. In Isaiah 61, it talks about the wedding garments, and it says that the bride should have the garment of salvation and robes of righteousness. And so it is that Christ, our groom, is waiting for that day when the bride will will be shown and she will be ready with her righteous deeds. Jesus has a strong and very bold belief about the church. In the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, it doesn't say a whole lot about the church, but there is one statement about the church that came after Peter had made his confession of faith that Jesus was the Christ, the Son of the living God. And this is Jesus' response to him. I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. The church, according to Jesus, is powerful. It is so powerful that the gates of Hades cannot withstand the attack of the church cannot stand against the church in its strength. And not only that, but we have been given keys to the kingdom, and we can bind things here on earth that will be bound in heaven. We can loose things here on earth that will be loosed in heaven. The church is powerful. And what we have to realize is that in the history of the world, the greatest movement that has ever occurred is the movement of Christians and the church. Nothing compares to the church and its influence and impact upon our world. We are part of the greatest movement that the world has ever seen. And we are empowered by the Holy Spirit to be holy people who make a holy church. And so when we get to the fourth verse of the church's one foundation, it talks about the victorious church, mid toil and and tribulation and tumult of her war, she waits the consummation of peace forevermore, till with the vision glorious her longing eyes are blessed, and the great church victorious shall be the church at rest. At that moment in the future, whenever it may come, when, when the groom comes back for his bride and takes her back to the place he has prepared for her in heaven. What a wondrous and beautiful day that will be. And so church, I want you to know that as the bride of Christ, you are beloved. 
Now, a few weeks ago, Aaron preached a sermon about being the beloved of God. The love that a groom has for his bride is the same love that Jesus has for us, for you and for me. We are beloved. And our part is to get ready for that coming and to prepare ourselves, to clothe ourselves with righteousness, with holiness, that we are to be holy, holy, holy. And when we are holy, we are what the church is intended to be. And all these people that think that the church is ugly will be shown something different, that the church is beautiful. And so when the world wants you to believe that the church is ugly, remember that you are not. You are beloved and you are holy. You are beautiful in Jesus' eyes. Thank you for listening to the Mustang UMC podcast. Once again, our services are at 8.30 and 10.50 a.m. every Sunday morning, and we would love to see you there. For more information about the Mustang United Methodist Church, please visit us at mustangumc.org or email us at office at mustangumc.org. That is office at mustangumc.org. We hope you enjoyed.